Hello, dear listener, and welcome to episode three of the Movie Brewer podcast, the show where we talk not just about movies, but the stories behind actually getting them made. I'm your host, Andrew Scott Willis, and today's movie pick might have a few of you scratching your heads. 2018's Rampage wasn't particularly groundbreaking, but like so many movies, uh, there's more here than meets the eye. But before we get into it, let's crack a beer. Spoilers ahead. This is the Movie Brewer Podcast. have in front of me Harambe's Ghost from Cheeky Monkey Brewing Company. Yeah, uh, the connection here is fairly obvious. Uh, For those of you who don't know, and here's the thing I never thought I'd be talking about on this podcast, Harambe was a grill at the Cincinnati Zoo who was famously shot and killed uh, when a three-year-old child fell into his grill habitat. Uh, The incident sparked massive internet outrage and soon became a meme, the echoes of which still kind of ripple through pop culture, clearly uh, still clearly naming beers as well. Uh, I don't fully uh, want to go into this story, but let's just say I'll pour out a couple drops for Harambe uh, as, as I do this podcast. Cheeky Monkey Brewing itself uh, is located just across the street from Fenway Park in Boston. Uh, You can only get Cheeky Monkey beers at Cheeky Monkey. Uh, So I made the trek in, and let me tell you, it is a really, really cool space. It's about 10,000 square feet, and it offers pool, shuffleboard, plenty of table space for pre-gaming or post-gaming a Red Sox game. Uh, So the interesting thing about Cheeky Monkey is they utilize a smart brew system which is an interesting, albeit controversial style. Uh, Smart Brew breaks down like this. The original recipe and the brew wart, uh, meaning the mash of the hops and the malt, etc., is designed by a brewmaster in New Zealand named Brian Watson. Cheeky Monkey lists him as their primary brewmaster, but before the wort is fermented, it's packaged and shipped to the brewery here in Boston, and then once it arrives, the yeast is added and the actual beer... Uh, and the fermentation process takes place in the tanks in the brew pub. Some people have an issue with this method, claiming it's less authentic than more traditional forms of brewing. I tend to disagree with this assessment. The beers being made are still original recipes. If if brewing with smart brew meant starting with a prepackaged wort and adding your own flair, maybe there's more of an argument there. But a homemade pie is no less of a homemade pie because you asked your mother to help with the family dough recipe. That's a bit of a weird analogy, I suppose. You'd think I'd tie it to something movie-related. But that being said, I do have Harambe's ghost in front of me. And let's see. I mean, it look, it's a very nice dark amber kind of thing. Not a lot of head, although that may be partially due to the fact that it came home with me in a growler. Because um, like I said, you can't get cans or bottles or anything here. Its aroma is not overpowering. It is uh, it is an 8.4 ABV beer, so there is a, a, a hint of you know alcohol in there, but it's not it's not overwhelming. There's a nice I don't know that it, it's it's a very subtle aroma. I wouldn't say it's very aromatic, but it's it's there's something there. Uh, and then let's see how we think about taste. That's nice. Harambe's Ghost is a double IPA, um, like I said, 8.4% ABV. 
you can taste the alcohol in there a little bit. It has a very strong taste. It's not overpowering. It tastes somewhat like an English ale, maybe. But overall, yeah, it's pretty nice. It'll be interesting getting through this entire growler. And then the the mouthfeel at the end, it doesn't linger terribly. There is that taste of alcohol that burns just the tiniest bit, but it goes down smooth. It's 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 a pretty solid concoction. Okay, so now then, a couple drops out here for Harambe, uh, and let's talk about another giant gorilla that caused extreme angst for the people of the Midwest. Um, Once again, remember, this is an 8.4% beer. Stick with me if I start to ramble. Let's start with a quick synopsis of Rampage, just to bring everyone up to speed. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you've watched the movie, but here's a quick breakdown. When a dangerous pathogen crashes to Earth after a catastrophic event on an orbiting space station, three different animals, including an albino gorilla named George, begin to grow exponentially. Primatologist Davis Koye, played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, tries desperately to understand what is happening to his friend and find a cure. He comes in contact with Dr. Kate Caldwell, uh, a geneticist who has helped design the pathogen, played by Naomi Harris. Uh, And when the CEO of Energine, the evil corporation behind the whole thing, sets off a signal that draws the infected monsters to Chicago, Okoye must race to save his friends before he, a giant wolf, and a giant crocodile destroy the city. Rampage is based off the classic Midway game of the same name. Uh, In the game, you play of one of the three monsters and basically do everything you can to raise entire cities before the military can stop you. Fairly straightforward. The monsters in the game themselves are based off classic movie monsters. Uh, The character of George equates to King Kong. Lizzie, the crocodile, is Godzilla. Uh, And Ralph, the wolf, you know, is is your classic werewolf. George, Lizzie, and Ralph. Those are our three main players. Warner Brothers bought the rights to Rampage along with all other assets when they purchased Midway Games in 2009. Uh, Midway had declared bankruptcy only a couple years before, but despite their catalog of properties, Warner Brothers was the only buyer. Many argue that they acquired the company for a steal at only $33 million, especially when you consider that there is another major game franchise owned by Midway, Mortal Kombat. The film was announced officially in 2011 with producer John Rickard uh, attached and working through New Line Cinema, uh, a subsidiary of Warner Brothers. Uh, Rickard, an up-and-coming but talented producer, uh, was the first to say what would be a common theme in the creation and casting, etc. of this film. He was excited to make the movie because he remembered playing the game as a kid. The film languished in pre-production for a couple of years, before it was announced in 2015 that Dwayne The Rock Johnson was attached to star and frequent collaborator Bo Flynn was also attached as a producer. Uh, Suddenly, the project was off to the races. Not long after The Rock signed on, New Line Cinema announced that director Brad Payton was attached to direct. He had worked with The Rock and Flynn on Journey to the Mysterious Island. While it was never explicitly stated, it is safe to assume that it was The Rock that brought Peyton onto the project. Although if either of those two ever hear this podcast, please, please, please feel free to reach out and correct me if I'm wrong. Or just reach out at all. Um, But as I said, Peyton and The Rock had worked together on Journey to the Mysterious Island, which was just after Fast Five, but before 
The Rock's true climb to superstardom. And that was a reference that Peyton made often is that he felt like he had a good connection with The Rock because they had worked together so many times as he was coming up. In terms of the script, there's not a lot of information out there except for the fact that one of the points of heavy debate was whether the monsters would stay faithful to the video game and actually be mutated humans. In the game, Ralph, Lizzie, and George are humans who become infected and mutate into these giant monsters. Uh, In the end, writer Ryan Engel delivered the final storyline wherein the monsters were mutated just from their baseline animals. Uh, George is actually a gorilla, Lizzie is a crocodile, and Ralph is a wolf. Um, I suppose that adds to feasibility for the whole story, I guess um, the final film credits four screenwriters, Ryan Engel, uh, who did the original draft, Carlton Cruz and Ryan Condal, uh, who contributed to that draft. And then Adam Stikiel, uh, who is responsible for the final revisions. In terms of casting, uh, the rest of the cast rounds out nicely. We spend a majority of our time with Naomi Harris and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Harris was fresh off her Oscar nomination for 2016's Moonlight. Uh, And Jeffrey Dean Morgan was most known at the time for the bat-swinging villain Negan on AMC's The Walking Dead. Uh, And honestly, throughout the movie, Jeffrey Dean Morgan seems to be channeling Negan very heavily. Uh, we also get Malin Ackerman and Jack Lacey as Energine executives bent on containing and profiting off of this whole situation. And then also toss in Joe Manganiello uh, for good measure, though his character doesn't <clears throat> really last that long. Usually with the films I review on this podcast, the casting seems very intentional and inspired by the director and the script. But with Rampage, there's a sense that we were filling out characters based on who was available and who had a good working relationship with the director and the star. But there's an important aspect here that I want to come back to. This movie stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, probably one of the last major movie stars. For the longest time in Hollywood, the stars ruled everything. In the 90s and early 2000s, all you had to do was attach someone like Tom Cruise or Will Smith to a project, and it was guaranteed to be a smash at the box office. The name alone would put people in seats. It didn't matter if the movie was terrible, your opening weekend would be huge. But as Hollywood has consolidated and the focus has shifted from character-driven original content to the culture of adaptations and franchises, uh, the familiar face draw has shifted to familiar character. Even once huge names like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone are returning to the characters that their audience will recognize them as because just them alone isn't enough to pull people into the theater. However, The Rock seems to stand apart from this trend. This is not to say that he shies away from franchises at all. Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle was built as the Dwayne Johnson vehicle. The Fast and the Furious franchises were floundering before he joined in it. And that's a franchise that seems to, with each incarnation, be centering itself more and more around The Rock. Uh, All this is to say that when I talk about how the casting in this film can seem inconsequential, I honestly think that's because we already have the major player in place. Warner Brothers isn't betting on Joe Manganiello to fill the theater, although I'm sure he's filled more than a few. Uh, They have Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's going to fill the seats that they need on his own. 
Okay, I'm done pontificating about The Rock, but I'm not quite done talking about the cast. There's one last player worth mentioning, and that's Jason Lyles. Uh, He plays George. So often, motion capture actors get less credit for doing so much more work. Uh, Lyles watched hours and hours of gorilla footage to try and get the physical characteristics right, and he threw himself into the emotional deep end to try and bring authenticity to this CGI character. In the film, at one point, just after being exposed to the pathogen, George is locked up in a cage, unaware of what's going on, and the scene escalates, with George becoming more and more agitated, before finally smashing his way out of the cage and running amok in the zoo. Uh, For Lyles, that meant a slowly escalating panic attack, one that he made himself endure, take after take, hour after hour. You know, when actors approach a role from a method point of view, it can be wildly emotionally and physically draining. And for Lyles to throw that kind of effort and passion behind a character, honestly, that like we'll never see his face in this movie. It's a it's a CG character, I think speaks volumes to his dedication. And honestly, the relationship between Davis and George is the backbone of this film. And throughout his performance, Lyles delivers that connection. He sees the two as Han and Chewie. Uh, Those are his exact words. And I think you can feel that relationship. Uh, The production itself was fairly uneventful, uh, as uneventful as any film production can be. Principal photography started on April 17th, 2017, uh, and it would be released just under a year later on April 13th, 2018, which considering the the heavy CG work to be done, bringing these three huge monsters to life is a pretty impressive timeline. Uh, The visual effects were mostly done through Weta Digital. Weta is most well-known, I would say, for its work in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also numerous, numerous other productions since then. They're well worth your look up if you have the time. They created an entire digital landscape of the Chicago Loop to give their VFX designers the highest level of flexibility in creating uh, the final battle scene in Chicago where all of the monsters and the rock converge. Both Ralph and Lizzie were done without a structural reference like Lyle's, but they were able to expedite the rendering of George because Weta was also the VFX company that worked on King Kong and Planet of the Apes uh, and gave them an in-depth experience animating gorillas. So let's talk about reception for a minute here. Rampage, like I said, uh, was released on April 13th. It had been originally scheduled to be released on April 20th, but that date was moved in reaction to Marvel moving up the date of Avengers Infinity War. Uh, With a blockbuster movie like Rampage, it's key to make sure you have viewership in that second week, and there's no way anyone was going to go see Rampage when they were up against Avengers Infinity War. So you got to figure, why not move it up a week? If you're in a place where you can get the production done, what do you really have to lose? Especially when you were already slated to be the biggest release in the weekend that you're moving away from. You're kind of already building in that padded viewership. So Rampage comes out April 13th and banks $35.7 million in its opening weekend. It's number one at the box office, unseating Paramount's A Quiet Place, and over the course of its domestic run, Rampage would bring in $101 million. But in the international markets, 
it would flourish. It brought in $327 million in 41 international markets over the course of its run, making its global total $428 million. Enough to make it, at the time, the second highest grossing video game movie of all time. Since then, uh, Detective Pikachu has grabbed that second spot, and the number one film remains World of Warcraft. And I do want to pause and dwell on that for a bit. Video game movies in Hollywood have a horrible track record. There is an endless line of films based on video games that completely missed. Think back for a minute. Films like Assassin's Creed, Prince of Persia, Need for Speed, Hitman. Movies with a promising premise that just didn't deliver. Uh, There's also Doom, also starring The Rock. I'll come back to that in a minute. But for whatever reason, Hollywood just can't seem to find the formula that works for these adaptations. At the time of this recording, there are only two video game movies that are certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and those are Detective Pikachu, which we've talked about already, and the Angry Birds movie 2. So what made people come out for Rampage? It has a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes of 52%. People clearly weren't coming to see some bastion of cinema, So I think it breaks down to two things. One, we've already talked about. The Rock is a force unto himself across the entire planet. If The Rock wasn't the lead in this film, it would have been instantly forgettable. There's nothing unique that sets it aside from any other CG kaiju film. It's really The Rock's charisma and brand recognition that drew people out to the theaters. But hey, wait, what about Doom? The Rock was in Doom too, right? And it only grossed $55 million internationally. This is true, but Doom also came out in 2005. This is long before Fast Five, which is arguably the turning point for The Rock's career. Uh, And he was nowhere near the levels of international stardom that he holds today. There's something else about Rampage that I think drew people in. Rampage, the game, is not complex. Monsters, buildings, destruction. That's all it has, and that's all you need. A lot of these video games that are getting made into films have complex storylines that you have to navigate and solve to reach the goals. Uh, And that's really the key. You have to do it. Taking the interactivity away from a video game and making you passively follow around a character can take away a lot of the draw. But Rampage has an easier time. There's no goals for the main characters of George, Ralph, and Lissy to achieve. They just destroy things. And you only really need enough setup to make sure that people don't get confused by the people in the scenes. That they understand what's going on enough to enjoy the destruction. And there's one last thing I'll say about Rampage. It's fun. When you break it down technically, it's not really a good movie. The plot lines are thin. The characters outside of The Rock are somewhat forgettable. But there's something about seeing that gorilla destroy things time and time again that's really pleasing. And you connect with them. You see that relationship between The Rock and George. And it's something that is just enough of an emotional backbone to make the rest of the film a wild, fun ride. That's my consensus anyway, uh, though it does seem to mirror a lot of what the critics seem to be thinking. Like I said, it has a 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, 
And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who called it their favorite movie. But it knows what it is. And it never really tries to be more than that. So that's where I land on Rampage. Let me do my quick facts rundown here. I'm going to have another sip of beer. Quick facts rundown for Rampage. As I said, Rampage grossed $428 million against a budget of $120 million and a marketing budget of $140 million, giving it a net profit of $168 million, which is not bad. George was originally scripted as a regular black gorilla, but he was changed to an albino gorilla over fears of looking too much like King Kong. The red dress that Malin Ackerman is wearing on the top of the skyscraper is a nod to the video game, wherein eating a woman in a red dress would give you a health boost. It was the number 35 highest grossing film of 2018, which is not saying a lot. The number one of that year was Black Panther. Marvel does it again. So that's what I've got on Rampage. I'm going to come back here to my Harambe's, <laughs> to my Harambe's ghost. Uh, a name that I will never say without a chuckle. And it's it's aging pretty well here. I haven't actually been able to drink a lot of it because every sip is kind of not difficult to drink, but requires a moment. But it still tastes good. The, the carbonation has gone down a little bit. But again, that may just be because I got it from a growler. One nice thing about Cheeky Monkey that I, I didn't mention at the top is they do seem very conservative in the number of their own beers that they're creating. Like I said, it's a huge place, but they do keep plenty of taps open to rotate out beers from other breweries in the area. I mean, we're talking about a place that's across the street from Fenway Park. They have a fantastic spot, and they have a fantastic spot to help keep the craft beer industry alive and well in Boston. So I'm I'm happy to be drinking this. I almost lost my mind when I found out there was a beer called Harambe's Ghost when I was making a podcast about a giant gorilla that destroys Chicago. But yeah. So that'll do it. I think that'll do it for this episode of the Movie Brewer Podcast. As always, I'd love to hear any thoughts you have on Rampage or video game movies uh, or movies in general. Please reach out. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at The Movie Brewer. And since you're still listening here, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button in the podcast app of your choice. And stay tuned. In a couple of weeks, uh, I'll be setting up the first ever Christmas episode of The Movie Brewer podcast. Uh, and I'm super excited about it. I'm reviewing by far my favorite Christmas movie of all time. And you'll just have to wait and see what that is. Uh, so tune in next time. And uh Thanks for listening. This is the Movie Brewer Podcast.